0: Today I'm chatting with creator of Music Marketing Manifesto and singer-songwriter John Ojaka. How are you today, John?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me on, uh, on your show.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And on that note, I know that in the space of music marketing, we can sometimes become precious about our ideas and methods, but I always find it such a joy to talk and share with ex- experts like you and I always learn a lot. And the more I dig into this niche, the more I find that there's probably only a few dozen of us or maybe a hundred of us out there doing this kind of thing. So I want to thank you for your willingness to come on the show and also for the important work you're doing for artists.
1: Thanks. Mate. Yeah, my pleasure.
0: So I've done a bit of reading about you. And one of the things I found interesting is that you had four different record deals, none of which really benefited <laughs> you in the I, way you hoped they would. So what happened well, I-
1: yeah, so I can't say none of them benefited me Many, financially. You know, particularly the first deal was very successful, and and that set much of my life in in motion so i don't regret any of the experiences but certainly when you're a young aspiring musician we all dream of getting record deals the idea is not just that you're going to fill your bank account it's that you're going to uh go on to have a meaningful you know career and become a household name so uh, cut me off if i go into too much detail but the the sort of short version is that you know like a lot of young musicians i i I was I'm from Hawaii. I left my small town, moved to mm. to mainland, went to Seattle first, later to Los Angeles in pursuit of success as an artist. I, I eventually, after, a lot of hard work, a lot of you know. I really hustled. I was I was one of those guys, you know, that that really worked my butt off. I promoted clubs and and uh, pursued every opportunity I could to find success. I eventually did land uh, a record deal after many demo deals and and a lot of struggles. I, I signed with Interscope. The trade paper said it was the largest new artist signing in history. Um, it looked very good for uh, for a moment. You know, I, I had one of those deals where I I was on a soundtrack and my song became the single for that soundtrack and it started taking off all over um, the United States, that song did. And I had no record deal but was getting heavy rotation on the biggest stations in the country. And that's what sort of kickfired this big bidding war. Hmm. Um, but there was no album and by the time the album actually got finished and by the time I had Jimmy Iovine as my A&R rep you know the the head of Interscope which sounded fantastic but all it actually turned out to mean is that i had the busiest guy at the label as my anr rep and so there was a lot of confusion music changed a lot at this time this is back in like 2000 when there was that shift from alternative to sort of active rock if you remember that this is like when the no doubts and becks um and sugar rays of the world were supplanted by the metallicas and and corn and limp biscuits and so by the time my album came out it didn't really fit on that um in the alternative uh, world so it got ultimately put out on pop and hot ac so my album came out the same week as madonna and 98 <laughs> degrees it was, n- it was nothing like that music so i don't know i had a few things stacked against me but um at the end of the day, you know, I had a fantastic experience. I toured and had song music on the radio across the country and, and was on MTV and all that kind of stuff. But I, I just didn't sell enough enough records. And with no conversation about it was dropped. You just kind of get a letter to your lawyer. Um, when some board makes a decision or some, you know, not literally a board, but um, some, what's the committee makes a decision. And uh, and was sort of back at the drawing board. And I had a weird Thing that's silent, sort of a double-edged sword. I had this blessing of this massive publishing deal as well, um where we're talking about a half a million dollars per album. The first one is even a bit more, but I I was half a million on the second album, and but I needed the album to come out on a major label in order to trigger the advance. So rather than just going back to doing what I did before I got that deal and going back to hustling, I was more of one of these i don't know what you'd call it but you know I was, I was not a studio musician but i was i was living in this industry bubble just trying to get another deal so years passed frankly I did eventually i got a deal with universal that triggered half the advance as it got closer to release some shifts around there they decided not to put it out then I got Warner brother uh, got a deal with a Warner Brother sub called the record collection they put it out as a one-off and that triggered the the publishing and and then but they did very little to promote it and uh then a third album came out i uh, sorry uh, a fourth deal third album came out on a indie and it just sort of seemed to go worse and worse and worse to be honest but i yeah i, I wouldn't categorize it as um i you know uh, that I, it was a regretful experience as i say yes. I, I still feel quite good about the things the accomplishments that i had during that time um and you know the albums did come out and and i tour to support them and, you know, had a blast. Um, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't, um, the, the people that promised they were going to do a lot of things on my behalf in the end didn't do a lot of those things. And, and, um, I kept uh, being, you know, at one point I was more or less put myself on a hiatus as I turned to, Try to figure out ways to make money without having to get a traditional job, and I, I don't want to keep riffing and rambling <laughs> on into the story, but that was the, that was chapter one was, was mm-hmm. that was basically the sum total of those those initial record deal experiences.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure there would be some benefit to any record deal, even if it's just a, a lesson yeah. that you learn along the way, which it sounds like you did. I'm just wondering, like obviously your music did not belong with new metal, but was there any advantage to being placed with pop?
1: No, not for me, I mm-hmm. don't think so no. I don't think I really ever stood much of a chance in that genre. Um, we really needed to come out when it was when I had that initial radio success. Um, before the album was done, it was ripe for that moment, and we missed the moment. I think, but I, I don't even know that that was necessarily it. I think I think, and anyone at the label at the time would tell you there was just a lot of confusion surrounding the album. Um, nobody was really shepherding the project, um, and and I think that was probably my biggest. Um, downfall on that first album
0: seems like a common story with many of my favorite artists i know that they might be giants went through a similar thing where the label they're working with knew what they were about and how to market them and then suddenly they were working with people that didn't know and they they went independent from there so i can i can definitely understand where you're coming from and i'm really interested in, in hearing about you know, this is what led to the creation of Music Marketing Manifesto. Right. I'm kind of fast forwarding, but I'm wondering what sort of researching and digging you were doing at the time that ultimately led to that breakthrough.
1: Well, so where it actually started, and I, I always sort of neglect to mention this when talking about it, is in, in in the album number three that came out on an indie, which basically meant i did everything you know to try to market it and i knew nothing about marketing at this time i want to say i actually have to check the back of the album i want to say this is 2005 ish um 2006 maybe i don't know um uh but i if you remember i don't know how old you are but in the days of myspace we all myspace Yeah, we all jumped on MySpace and bought these bots and spammed the hell out of everyone uh, saying, you know, click on this link and send them to iTunes or CD Baby or wherever and hope that they'd buy our music because it was all we knew how to do. Um, And I did it too, and the bots would always break because MySpace would, changed the way the sites worked. So the bots couldn't do what they did. Um, and we'd all jump or many of us anyway, would jump in the, the support forums and start asking questions. And I'd see all these other people in the forums that were using these bots to do other things, to make, you know, to clearly make money online had nothing to do with music. And that was what first kind of made me go, Hmm, what's this, what's this make money online thing all about? Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, I did not jump into buying my space bots and spamming the world to try to make money, but I started reading and what actually it was one day, some flashy red headline, that, you know, was selling some internet marketing course, promising to teach me how to make millions of dollars in my, in my underwear while I slept or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, it jumped out at me. I finally bought it. I spent 200 bucks, uh, which was a lot for a course back in 2006 or whatever it was, um, Okay. And uh, it was an advertising-based strategy, so a Google Ad strategy with affiliate products. And I sat up all night. I spent ten dollars on advertising. I set everything up, went to sleep, woke up, and I would sold a twenty-dollar ebook. And went, "Holy crap! This isn't you know a, a quote-unquote scam. It actually works." And and I got the bug. You know, where there was one sale, I knew there were more. And fortunately, I still had some of that record deal advance money in the bank, so I had time to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the pressures of, of a job or anything breathing down my neck. And I became obsessed. I tend to be an obsessive guy when I'm into something. And I, um, went and, uh, probably bought uh, slash or I, pro- I went through probably about i don't know somewhere between 500 and a thousand books and lectures and and courses and things on marketing i just went out to learn everything i possibly could and and i experimented a lot you know like a lot of new internet marketers i probably had a hundred domain names each one representing some failed experiment but finally wh- and, and and when i say failed many of them would generate a little bit of money but nothing that was gonna set me for life yeah um uh, but i finally had one product and it was a great product this is this is and I, again i don't talk about this too often but it was electronic cigarettes of all things early like in 2000 and seven, I think when, or maybe, yeah, somewhere around there, um, where they were, uh, unheard of, you know, no one had ever heard of them. And again, I was just trying anything at this time. And I thought anytime I could find a cool product that I could set up a website for, I was keen. So somebody brought it to me. Um, I set up a website and lo and behold, it sold. It sold almost by itself. I was really into search engine optimization at the time. I ended up getting a, uh, striking a deal with the company. I became a, basically an independent online distributor and started selling the crap out of these e-cigs. I sold a couple million dollars worth of electronic cigarettes within a couple of years. Um, and with my, once you kind of have a success online, it all kind of falls into p- focus. You suddenly understand what it is you're doing. Um, and you get much better at it very quickly? And, And things scaled up really fast. Once my finances were kind of in order um, and I wasn't so much worrying about paying the bills anymore and I had this newfound skill, I thought, you know, what if I started using some of this stuff on my music? And I initially used myself as a guinea pig. I'd go, I'm I'm always in a precarious situation because record labels and publishing companies own all of my material, Um, but I can go and quietly do a few things here and there. But so I'd go and, you know, build a list, send out my... A, a link to buy it to my list. Wake up and have three hundred dollars worth of album sales, and this was shocking to me. Like, like my entire career, I needed, I needed a manager, I needed lawyers, I needed a record label, I needed to uh, uh, musicians to tour, I needed a budget for all of it, I needed producers, I needed all, uh, all of these people to run a career. And that was what most of my early career was, was just amassing a team, hoping that they would do the work. This was something that I could do really easily, you know, in my own home with very little overhead um, and was just was just um, just amazing. And shortly thereafter. A uh, friend of mine, Billy Burke is his name, he was going to put out an album, and he had a pretty big Twitter following, but uh, you know, having a big following does not necessarily translate into generating a lot of money if you don't do it the right way. And I, I knew what he was, he had told me what he was planning, I thought I could do better, I said, hey, why don't you let me handle the marketing for this, we'll put it out, it'll be a little case study. And put it out, it ended up, I think we spent $400 on marketing total, and we ended up, um, uh, setting the all time single day sales record at CD baby. Uh, he landed on the heat seeker, you know, billboards, heat seeker chart, uh, recouped the first week and, you know, and then some of course, um, and we thought it was a tremendous success. So at that time looking for something else to do, I was not particularly passionate about electronic cigarettes and have since sold that, that business. Um, I, I, uh, Said you know I I I, at at one point I was thinking maybe I'd start educating people about marketing but this opportunity to teach what I had done with Billy um, you know arose and I I turned that into a course and that was Music Marketing Manifesto technically I had actually. In one of my early failed, quote unquote, experiences, I put out a little ebook called Music Marketing Manifesto, and it was in late 2009 that I beefed that up, turned it into a sort of video course. Again, my own knowledge had really um, grown since that time um, and put it out, and it sold really well um, uh, with the initial launch, and I really enjoyed communicating with the music community and being sort of back in the industry, so to speak. Um, and, uh, felt that was really good at it. So anyway, that, that kickstarted basically what's been my, my journey for the last 10 years. And that's how I make my living primarily is, is through music marketing manifesto and teaching independent artists how to use basically online marketing strategies, um, more specifically direct response marketing strategies to build their uh, the audience and to monetize the relationship with that audience at the time. So this is, you know, I teach people how to basically build funnels. And at the the time there was really nobody, um, you know, this concept was, was new. If there was someone out there, I don't know who they were Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty sure I knew everyone. Mm -hmm. So I was very early in the space in terms of teaching people how to do this. And, and it's, it's, it goes, you know, it, it's not a magic bullet. Um, it still takes a lot of hard work. Um, you have to, have something remarkable about you as a person and as an artist but it really can work and it can and it it has worked for thousands you know there's nothing more rewarding than getting emails from people who have sold their first album um, to some fan who you know had never heard of them until a couple of days ago when they clicked on a link and and yeah the rest is history
0: Mm. I have a few comments there and one of the things is I can kind of relate to you in the sense that the whole thing about music entrepreneurship, when I was first starting to look around, there were definitely people talking about the connection between business and music. But mm-hmm. I'm not certain anybody had quite made the leap to music entrepreneurship yet. And that's actually becoming more of a common term these days on podcasts and blogs and so right. forth. So I'm not taking credit for creating it necessarily, but uh, it's it's cool how it's spread. And I, Sure. I definitely remember those days with the landing pages and the big red headlines, and I was looking at a lot of them, and I was just sitting there going, oh, man, if I had the money, I would buy that thing. Uh, But, yeah, at the time, I wasn't quite uh, that independent. But on that whole topic of, of being independent or working independently, I mean, just like you, I... Maybe maybe you had a couple of Joe jobs here and there, but I couldn't stand them. You know, I think I worked in traditional employment for all of six months. Right. <laughs> because you never get paid on performance. It was always, you know, no matter how little or how much I did, it was a flat rate that I got. Sure, that, sure. That wasn't sitting well with me. And yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. The other thing was just trying and failing. And I think that's the part that a lot of people don't see. Right. It, yeah, this online space looks sexy and attractive and awesome. And it's sort of, it's almost a, you know, you feel like it's a promise that you're going to succeed if you just put enough work and effort into it, which is one of the messages going on out there, but that's not always the case. You kind of have to keep digging until you find that loading formula.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think, you know, okay. So, I don't know if I should say this or not, but like when you do what, what, what we do, um, there's a lot of people or anytime you're selling any kind of marketing advice, there's a lot of people that are quick to kind of call it scammy or a scam or something like that. And I see it every day, frankly, in my comments, I also see, you know, you changed my career every day in my comments, but but uh, a lot of that, I think, comes from the fact that people have been burned many times over buying different kinds of marketing courses. And, but for the most part, I can tell you as someone who spent probably, I don't, I don't know if I'm in the tens of thousands or not, I've spent a lot, I've spent many thousands of dollars on marketing training, and, and almost all of it has been really valuable and um i'll give you an example i bought a two thousand dollar on internet marketing course early in my my days Mm -hmm. um it was one by frank frank kern um and and it was two thousand bucks and that seems so crazy to me and i didn't do it until after i was making a lot of money i i did his little freebie thing um that he offers to kind of whet your appetite before you even start the course. And I applied it to my e business at the time. I made like $24,000 in wow. uh, five days or something or four days. And um, the point is this is that all of it, can work. You know, it's not actually that hard. What Where people fail is that they are trying to cut corners, trying to sell crappy products, not mm. following through, not sticking with it. I mean, you can't go and take, um, you know, the old saying, you can't polish a turd. You can't go and take a crappy product or a, a, a not very unique solution, or in the case of music, not very good music, from a boring and uninteresting person and just run traffic um and and may and turn that into something you you really need to provide genuine value you really need to either if it's a traditional product you need to um genuinely help people and offer real solutions if it's music you need to inspire and entertain and excite people but if you can do that then there is Then you can take just about any of our courses, apply the steps, stick with it, and you'll find success. It really just comes down to you know who whose style you like, and uh, you know what whose approach resonates with you the most. But business is not that difficult. It's just going and finding uh, creating a. Uh, having a great product or or service and then creating a compelling offer and then getting more and more people exposed to that offer um, you know the, de- the anyway I I'm kind of rambling but it's just I, that what you described is is fairly common there are a lot of people who get burned because they don't stick with it I like I said I had probably a hundred failed domain or websites before I finally had one that succeeded. And my process wasn't very different with any of them. And then one of them just took off. And it turned out that I needed a great product. Um, And when I finally had one, my skills, my marketing skills took over and uh, propelled me to a success.
0: No, I really like how you addressed that. And I'm glad you brought it up. And I was, you know, at one point having... 12 or so niche blogs that I tried to update all the time. It sure. it, it certainly did not last forever. And right. when one of them kind of stuck out, I decided to go and run with it, which happened to be in my passion area of the music industry. Hardly surprising that it's something that I care about. What type of results do you see musicians achieving with, with your method? I'm sure it varies a lot because everyone's music is at a different level, and their skills as a marketer and copywriter could vary. But is there such a thing as a typical result you've noticed with the artists who've taken advantage of your material?
1: Well, there is such a thing as kind of normal or... or optimal metrics or average metrics but results are really 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 going to vary based on you know how much work someone puts in and uh, how much someone is spending on advertising and all these kinds of things i mean yeah. of course naturally i've had people who've had you know no results they've taken the course and they've done nothing i have one artist who's i think on target to generate half a million dollars this year wow. um So it's all, it's all over the place. Um, I surveyed my customers at one point and, you know, asked all the people who had bought the course, um, or I asked all the people that had implemented the course, how they, uh, if they were, if they saw a positive impact on their career. And I think I got, it was about 70% said yes, which I say that knowing that some people might, Not for some reason think that that's a a good result, but to me those (laughs) numbers are fairly are fairly astonishing. You know, it's it's hard to do this stuff. I'm teaching people with no experience with marketing how to get out and generate something, and to have you know seventy percent of those people um, ultimately get results that they're looking for, see a positive impact on their career. To me, feels feels pretty astonishing and I'm, I'm i couldn't be happier with it um but uh in terms of metrics what i kind of like to look for so i don't i don't know if this is getting too down the rabbit hole because people don't necessarily know what it is that i i teach but i teach people how to build these online funnels for their music yes. um, and on average i like to see people's landing pages converting at around 25% or more you know mm-hmm. so the range is like 25 to 40% that means 25 to 40% of the people that land on your squeeze page are handing over their email address and signing up to get some free music and then getting added to your email follow up series that does the job of trying to build that relationship and get them to read posts watch videos become more acquainted with you it's not a intense selling environment it's much more of a relationship building environment with little links here and there if they do want to listen or buy. Um, Eventually, you know, we run some more aggressive promotions where we try to get people off the fence and say it's, you know, now or never because of some advantageous terms like a discount or a bundle or something like that. Um, When it comes to sales, I'm typically seeing probably between 4 and 6% um, of those people to sign up. So if 100 people signed up, you might see 6% of those, or fi- let's call it 5% of those people will actually buy. Again, that can range from anywhere from zero to the highest I've seen is about 30%, and that's exceptional and rare. 10% is exceptional but happens you know, a fair amount. Um, and then, uh, we also would typically, or at least I'll suggest that people offer an upsell. So they've ordered now let's give them, you know, maybe a box set or some, some higher, slightly higher priced, uh, product at a, at a really great deal an even better deal than the retail price they just paid, uh, for, for your initial product. And, uh, and what we're doing, though, and what is, what's important to realize, or remember, is that we what we're doing is we're basically buying a fan base, and we're using the initial offer to try and cover our advertising costs. Um, many profit right there. Some lose a little bit of money, but what we're doing is that we're buying an audience so that we can monetize our relationship with that audience for years to come. So it doesn't. We don't just run them through our funnel, make a sale, and stop. I mean, I suppose you could. And like I say, many do profit there. So so if if you were fine making a fairly small profit margin and just letting that grow, you could. However, the idea is that now you've got the attention of an audience, let's keep them engaged over the course of the year and, and then some and run, you know, a maybe a few months after they sign up, you're running a Patreon campaign or a or a membership site. Maybe a few months after that, you're doing a house concert tour. Maybe a few months after that, you're running a holiday promotion or whatever works for you. But That's kind of the the bird's eye view of the strategy: is drive, uh, basically create a funnel to cover our advertising costs, and and then once we've got this machine that builds our audience for us, we we can we can monetize our relationship with that audience forever, Um, and you can scale that up based on whatever your budget is and your stomach for risk. but, uh, but that's kind of how this works. So in, instead of going out and spending millions on quote-unquote exposure and waiting for those people to come to us, mm-hmm. we're spending a relatively small amount of money going out and, and grabbing the attention of these people and pulling them into our, by comparison to the mainstream models, um, our tribe. And we're making a, a vastly greater amount of money um, from each fan well, with a small, uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. We're making a vastly greater amount of money from a very small audience um, as compared to the more mainstream model, which is to make a very tiny amount of money from a huge amount of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason that the mainstream industry does it the way they do is because they need to systematize their process to a certain extent. Um, and it And in that sense, it becomes you know, they do find some talent, throw a bunch of money at the the wall and see what sticks, rinse and repeat. But as independent artists who can't, you know, we, we are our only business. We are our only client. If we fail, our career is over. It ends. Um, so we can't afford to throw a bunch of money at the wall and see what sticks. We need to go out and, and employ these smart strategies that allow us to, um, Yeah, um, really measure our ROI and, um, again, make a large amount of money from a very small number of people. When I say the major labels need to do what they do because they need to systematize it, you know, every artist is different. It it would be challenging, I believe, for a, a, a label, for example, to go and manage these very personal campaigns for 100 different artists, each one of them being different, as opposed to an artist who can can craft their own marketing (laughs) campaign around who they are and manage it themselves because they are the product. If that makes sense.
0: Oh yeah. I think those are some impressive results for sure. So that's, that's great. And it makes sense that if you put more effort into it, you get more out of it. So what are the main upsides of using a funnel to build an audience?
1: The main upsides? Well, I think I kind of touched on it with that answer, but Mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 biggest beauty of of the this approach is that you have uh you can measure your roi you know and you can you can uh, change your stimuli to affect the roi so when you again we, when i was on the labels you know it was just throw a bunch of money at the wall and see what sticks pay a bunch of money for radio promotions and if they got phones if people liked it then you know it would it would spread and if nobody else was putting out an album that week that competed with you you know things might look good and then you'd have this light album life cycle and people would move on and the album would be over and you need to go and do it again but um but there really it didn't function like a normal business there was no spend x amount of dollars and measure the results you know any every business works that way you spend your money and you measure the results and and you change the um stimuli, you know, to meaning the advertising, the packaging, the every, you know, all, all those uh, variables until the results are favorable. But the music industry didn't really work that way. No one really ever talked. I never heard any kind of talk of ROI or things like that. There certainly would have been, you know, people in marketing would have been conscious of ROI, but it was kind of a, again, throw it at the wall and see what sticks. It was all or nothing sort of approach to ROI. Whereas when, as an individual artist, we go out and we spend, let's say, X amount of dollars on our clicks and we measure our conversion rate. So how many people are signing up? Do we spend $1 or $4 to get a subscriber? Well, if it's $4, that's going to be too expensive for us to stand any chance of profiting. So what can we do to bring that price down? Well, we can try different images in our ads. We can try different copy. We can try... Uh, different targeting. We can change up the colors of our landing page or the copy on our landing page. Um, And most likely, try changing all of those things. But each thing is going to have a measurable result. And, And if you let the math lead you and just keep making changes, you can continue tweaking and pushing until you get within the optimal range. And we can do that with every aspect of of the experience. Um, you know, if, if people are signing up but they're not buying, you know, let's take a look at the email open rates. Let's take a look at, uh, you know, maybe it's the content that people are, aren't engaging with. So let's change the nature of that blog post. Let's change the songs we're giving away for free. Let, and, and again, every variable becomes something that will impact the final results and that gives you control as opposed to just hoping and praying that the world thinks you're amazing. There's so many very talented artists that just didn't connect in the right way with the millions of people that they needed to connect with in order to be successful, um, a- according to the major labels with that model. Um, but just because maybe your stuff doesn't have what it takes to appeal to the masses doesn't mean that you can't find one, five, ten, fifty thousand people out there in the world that think you're amazing, and and by Going and using the funnel approach and relying on metrics and math to point you to steer you towards those fans Um, Virtually anyone with good music can can find a path to success
0: and have you noticed any hiccups or downsides with the method?
1: Not really, um wow. I mean, I mean it, it takes great music. It takes a lot of refining, you know, well, it usually takes a lot of refining. um a lot of people um i if if there are any hiccups, it's more with the temperament of maybe individuals employing. and not every musician is is. Uh, you know, it's not in the DNA of every musician to care about marketing, to care about metrics, to pay attention to this stuff, to want to do this stuff. You know, there are a lot of musicians, frankly, who um, really just think that their music is amazing and everyone else should see it. And if they're not successful, it's everybody else's fault. That's a, that's a thing. There are also, you know, many musicians who are willing to work their asses off and do what it takes to mm-hmm. uh, to make a life in music. So, I, I mean the 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 things that I'm teaching the method I mean it's not even new you know I mean yeah. well the internet's new and some of the some of the the the, the catalysts are new um direct response marketing as is known has been around since the old days of the giant catalog since 1800s you know where we'd send out catalogs it was the same thing they'd write copy they'd send it out to x amount of people and they'd see what kind of uh, results they got and then they'd they'd either change with the next pressing of the catalog or they'd, or they'd, um, continue on based on the results they got. And those ads we used to see in the back of our comic books when, when we were kids, that was direct response marketing. And, you know, it's bit, it's, we, we can do it much more effectively and much more inexpensively with the internet. And, and, you know, it, it offers musicians in particular opportunities that traditional direct response marketing didn't, but when i say not really i don't mean to be i don't know cavalier or silly or or arrogant it just these there's no question that the that this approach works um it's but it's not always easy and some people can struggle to really ever get into that optimal range but more often than not that's because of a lack of follow-up i mean there are Again, this is just the reality of a lot of musicians who their life's work is one album and ask them to communicate, ask them to to continue to produce, ask them to tour. And they don't have that follow up. They don't you know, the people that are succeeding are incredibly vibrant. They're out there um, connecting with people, making a lot of art. And if you're not going to do all of that, and a lot of people don't want to, a lot of people would prefer to be the, you know, J.D. Salinger's of music where they live in their little bubble and release an album once a year and pretend not to care about any of it. You know, you're going to have a much harder time um, because the world has changed and many, many millions of people are out there willing to, to do all of that stuff. So, so. I'm not trying to say there's no problems and that everyone is is happy. The majority are, as I said in those stats, the majority of the people to, to apply it feel that it's benefiting them. Um, but we all have different work ethics, and some of us come to it more naturally than others.
0: Mm, totally fair. What's the biggest challenge you've encountered as an entrepreneur?
1: As an entrepreneur, or are we talking about me and music marketing manifesto? Or are we talking about as a musician? Or are we talking about for my clients? <laughs> like what are we talking about? Whatever comes to mind. Cool. I don't know. <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, it's it's always taken a lot of work. It's all it's right. it's. I, um, I feel like I'm going to sound arrogant. Like it's it's if I work, my life is always worked in this way. Um, universe has never given me anything for free, but if I work really hard, um, the universe is kind of knock on wood, always rewarded that. Um, so, so, I haven't, I don't feel that the world is full of obstacles. There are little things, you know, for MMM, um, there's a whole lot of competition now that I probably wish wasn't there, but it really hasn't impacted the bottom line. Um, I suppose, I suppose one challenge that I'm conscious of is, um, uh, 10 years ago, this was such uncharted territory that it felt very easy to stay on top of. There is just new stuff coming so rapidly right now that mm-hmm. it is, it is even for someone who works in the space. Um, uh, I feel it can be a little intimidating, like, Oh man, am I going to suddenly be irrelevant uh, at some point? You know, um, um, I don't know. It's, it's, there's a lot of new technology and it can be challenging to stay on top of it. However, you know, again, I think, I think, one of my skills more than any of the other stuff is just, I have a solid grasp of copywriting. And I think that that hasn't, you know, that's at the core of all the strategies I teach. And I don't think that that changes too, too much. Um, But I suppose that is an obstacle, just the rapidly changing landscape and the struggle to constantly stay on top of every little new opportunity. So you're always the expert um, increasing competition, um on a more practical level as as a musician, you know, the one real challenge is always just to get those uh, initial conversion costs uh, high enough or the subscriber acquisition costs low enough um, to get you in range so you can comfortably spend and spend and spend um, and grow that fan base, I suppose. Um, on the other side of that coin, the other cha- another obstacle is scaling. you know it can be relatively easy to pull in a small audience and get them to engage and convert, but to go from you know ten dollars a day to a uh, hundred dollars a day and then and then on to a thousand dollars a day you know those uh, that's not easy um and uh, so that that's a very real challenge
0: mm actually really love that perspective. And it just sounds like if you stick with it and you're committed to it and you find the right method, it's going to work. Um, what's, what's the biggest victory you've experienced as an entrepreneur?
1: Well, I don't know if you'd call this as an entrepreneur, but you know, I'm still going to go back to that initial record deal that I had, um, with Interscope. My dream in life as a, young person as a teenager was to be a, a rock star to go out and get a major label deal. I remember very consciously feeling as a teenager, like that stardom is never guaranteed, but I always, I wanted that major label record on the mantle, so to speak. I wanted to be part of the annals of rock and roll history, you know, and to me that meant releasing a album on a, on a, on a real record uh, label. Um, I'm quoting something that somebody else told me, so I'm not sure how f- far off I am, something from Dirt, the Motley Crew book, oh. um, was that it's, it was explained to me, and I've quoted this so many times, I don't even know if he actually says this in the book, but that, okay. that somebody, I think Nikki Six or somebody was talking about success as being this big machine full of spinning cogs. And a lot of people jump and they, they make it onto the first cog and it's spinning and it's hard to, you know, you got to hold your balance and stay on top of that cog so you don't fall. And then at some point you try to make it leap to the next cog and you go higher and higher. Very few people make it to the very top uh, cog. Most people fall somewhere lower, uh, fall off of the machine somewhere lower. In, in the hierarchy. Um, but a few people do, but everyone falls. And at some point, some fall all the way, some fall a little bit, but, but that is the re- kind of reality of the music industry. So whether I became, you know, the next Bob Dylan, uh, or, or had the success that I did, I still feel that, you know, very good about it. I was part of that that I was part of the major league, so to speak. And, and it was, like I say, it was very, I've talked about it elsewhere. So I'll, I'll just drop, and it was very publicized, but you know, with the publishing deals and everything, it generated like $2.1 million or something like that. And um, you know, for a 25 year old kid to get this bidding war where you're, I, I went from so broke. I remember having holes in my shoes and I had tried to stay in when it rained because my boots had holes in them and my feet would get soaking wet. I had a tooth cracked because I didn't have money for the dentist. I had no car. Um, You know, busing around Los Angeles is fun. I, I had nothing. I lived in a $400 a month apartment, um, on a very gang, gang infested street. Um, It was it was hard but exciting because I was young and you're up for it when you're young. Uh, But and when I got that first deal, uh, or or it was. Just ushered around New York. Um, I remember, this is a, a maybe a funny anecdote. You remember Crocodile Dundee? You remember that scene <laughs> where, um, where he gets out in New York City and the guy puts his hand out for a tip and he shakes it and says, you know, good day, mate, or whatever. You know the scene I'm talking about? Yeah. I remember getting flown to New York as part of the bidding war. Um, picked up in a limousine, taken to the hotel and the, the, whatever he was, the, whatever what do you call those guys that stand, the bellhop or whatever, put out his hand, to, and and I shook it. You know, he wasn't looking for a tip, but I sh- just shook his hand. Hey, man, nice to meet you. And he's like, oh no, sir, your bag. And I remember <laughs> feeling like so crocodile Dundee at that moment because I was a very you know unsophisticated, never had a cent kind of guy. And and my world changed. I remember literally kind of dropping to my knees in my privacy in my own home just. Kind of thank you uh, mm-hmm. to God, the universe, or whatever for what happened. So I, I, I will. That will always be, you know, a tremendous career victory for me. Um, the other victories were less profound and more spread out over time. You know, the fact that I can live anywhere I want in the world, um, and do what I do, uh, make a living, change lives, um, have a community that trusts and, and follows me and, um, and still make music and get to talk about it with people that care. You know, I still perform and record and all of that. Um, you know, that's, that's a tremendous victory. Um, my, I, I, I'm, I work from home, so I get to have breakfast with my children every day and, and, um, lunch if they're not at school and, and dinner. And I'm very much, you know, I'm not, I, not that I felt like my dad was missing from my life. I didn't, but you know, when I think back on it, I do realize like, wow, you know, I never saw him in the morning cause he was gone before I woke up and he came home for dinner and my life was just dinners and weekends. Whereas I, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to not have that relationship with my kids cause I'm always around. So all of that is victory as well. It's just a less, you know, there were no there was, there was no um, checkered flag thrown at the end of it it's just a slow and 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 wonderful victory but um, you know I love a world where you can work hard and get rewarded and I feel I feel pretty um, successful because because or feel pretty fortunate or blessed or whatever that we do live in that world and knock on wood um, my perspective has led me to believe that it does work or my experiences have led me to believe that it does work like that. Are there any books or other resources that have helped you on your journey? Um, lots of books have helped me. So a lot of the, where I've really gotten stuff is internet marketing stuff, you know, um, a lot of it's expensive, you know, as I said, that Frank, Frank Kern's first course was a big one for me. It's the copywriters that the guy. So again, there's a lot, there are people that are just fantastic with algorithms and, um, you know, they're either SEO guys or they're CPA guys. And, and I'm, I'm, better with understanding the just the fundamentals of selling and copywriting and human psychology. And so it's the, and, and those people are the copywriters. Um, they're the people behind the funnels and, and they're the people that understand what it takes to take a person who's never heard from you or heard of you and make them care about what it is you have to say by the end of it. And that's more where, where I find my, my home or whatever, that's my wheelhouse. Um, so like Frank Kern was one, um, he's a bit, you know, intense, perhaps from my liking these days, but, uh, you know, he's, he's good at what he does and, and it helped me in my early days, but copywriters like, um, Dan Kennedy, um, he's yes. got just kind of anything by him is great. Um, a lot of it doesn't apply to music. Well, none of it really applies to music, but the lessons learned can be applied, uh, to anything. Um, it's really just about understanding human psychology, um, uh, on a, totally different tip people like gary vaynerchuk just kind of helped keep the ethics grounded um and 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 you know he's he's so about just treating people well um he's inspired me from the get-go and that um that's you know customer support is where i put all of my focus and and we you know I, you can't please all the people all the time but we hear wonderful things about our support just about every day and, and i feel pretty good about the The value exchange between me and, and my tribe um uh Tim Ferris you know was oh, is, yeah. is is a big one and and yeah. um his four hour work week was pretty um instrumental to me when it came out in 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 terms of just representing a mindset shift or um, um okay. who else um uh You know, there's, there's, I'm trying to think there's so much good stuff out there, but those, those are, um, at least real business, um, you know, books people can easily find that, um, that are out there. Uh, Chris Rempel is a marketer. who's he's become a friend. We've done a few things together that also I got a lot out of. I don't think he's doing it anymore. He's moved on to other, he's wildly successful as far as I know, but he's moved on to other things, um, in the marketing space but more you know he's not teaching it anymore is all um Hmm. uh who else inevitably there's a there's a bunch that i'm probably forgetting uh you know i like ryan dice's stuff in general um and uh but i don't have any one book or course that really stands out he's just someone who who i generally find valuable um and that's what's coming to mind awesome it's
0: so funny because uh, Dan Kennedy is one of those that's I've been hooked on recently in the last couple of months. And I've been getting a lot of value out of that. And I can mm. like you say, it's not music industry material. I can see some areas that could be applied. But yeah, it's just general business copywriting advice that uh, could benefit anybody on a general level. Yeah, um, indeed. So thank you so much for your time and generosity, John. Is there anything else I should have asked?
1: No, I think I think we covered it. Um, I'm sure I'll think of it as soon as we wrap up. But but no, I think I think we're good. And yeah, it's been a pleasure to chat. Hopefully, somebody you know it, it turned on a light bulb for somebody.
0: Yeah, and people can find you at musicmarketingmanifesto.com as well as com. Is that right? That's right. Awesome. All right. Thanks again.
1: Thank you. Cheers.
0: Cheers. Thank you for listening. Music in this episode was brought to you by Brian Young. Wherever you're listening to this right now, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment to help us get the word out about the podcast.